an hour of truth for the battered but proud people of the Empire State. From the financial and entertainment epicenter of New York City to the sleeping and empty small cities and towns of upstate, which once bustled with manufacturing, mining, and farming. We all know from inspiration, history, and nature, we deserve a return to the success and growth of generations past, a birthright being squandered by corruption in Albany, and the depredations of an insecure, scheming mountebank posing as governor, who loathes both us and himself. As liberty beckoned to enslaved peoples behind the Iron Curtain via American broadcasts after World War II, we now say, believe, rise, and join us. Welcome to Radio Free New York. Hey guys, welcome to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister, and we've got Bob Savage here with us. Hello, hope everybody had a great 4th of July weekend. Yeah, 4th of July was awesome for us. What'd you do, Bob? Oh, just a bunch of stuff. Uh, I had a little cookout. Uh, my mother-in-law, uh, her birthday happens to be July 4th, so we had to get the, uh, you know, get together over at her place and, you know, the usual festivities. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. I got a chance to uh, spend time with family. We were down in Allegheny County, um, and it was just a great time. We spent the weekend there. I did some hammock camping and just got a chance to kind of relax, unplug, and enjoy the beautiful weather. Anything with a hammock in it gets my attention. Lots of relaxation in that old hammock once upon a time. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's and it's it's pretty comfortable and it's good for your back to sleep in them every once in a while too. So it was uh, it was a good time for me, anyways. And the weather was amazing. It, yeah, it was, it was what a stretch weather. we're going through. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The grass, oh, the grass is a little brown. I haven't been watering it as much as I should. But ah, but less mowing. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely less mowing for sure. So, um, but while I was you know out of the Rochester area. I, you know, I came home last night and this morning I, I open up my phone and I see um, all, all the headlines. They, they So far, they're not looking so good. The first one that jumped out at me um, is the crime over the weekend. Those certainly uh, seem to be pre-increased. And Bob, I think you mentioned to me that our, our crime rate in Rochester over this weekend was higher than Chicago's. Well, shootings. Uh, yeah, this was brought to my attention by one of our loyal listeners. And boy, we got a, a lot of them. And it's always great to hear from you folks. But our friend Carl sent me, Dr. Savage, am I calculating this right? Rochester had eight shootings Saturday night, which is four shootings per 100,000 people. Because our city of Rochester population is now down to 205. Chicago had 67 shootings Saturday night, which is 0.4 shootings per 100,000. That's based on a 2.7 million population in the city. So what it looks like is our shooting rate was 10 times higher than Chicago on Saturday. Uh, and uh, by the way, I uh, confirmed all that. I went through, the, uh, through his math. He's right. And to state it a different way, Chicago had a shooting this past weekend for every 40,298 people in their general population, while the Flower, a.k.a. Bullet City, had one for every 25,625 in the general population. So congratulations, folks. Ten times the shooting rate uh, based on 100,000 per 100,000 population as the lethal city of Chicago, where things are really, really horrible. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it, it's sad to say, I remember growing up, and I don't remember 
what year this was. I think it was when I was in high school. You know, the city of Rochester was referred to as the murder capital of the state. Still and, is. Yeah, and, and the thing is, like, you would think that that would be, I don't know, New York City? Because there's just a lot more people there. Um, but no, it's not. It's Rochester. So. Well, of course, that's changing in New York now. Now that they've defunded the police and uh, basically man- downtown Manhattan is like a free fire zone from what I hear. It's really a mess. Uh, the McDonald's in Times Square closed. So th- wow. that, there, there's an indication of how bad things are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, to be honest, I haven't actually seen much of what what has been going on down there. I think some of it is the nice weather. You know, I'm trying to spend some time outdoors. I'm trying to uh, social distance a little bit from social media. Uh, so I'm not getting, uh, you know, the funnels of news that, that normally I would. So it, it, it's getting pretty bad down there. Oh, yeah. Uh, the uh, Of course, there's widespread rioting, as we all know. And so there's a lot of businesses that are uh, that are uh, closed up. The population base is gone because most people are working at home. So there's no reason for anybody to go to, to downtown, to midtown Manhattan. So that means that, uh, of course, with the COVID closings, the few restaurants that were not closed as a result of COVID are having a tough go, and so there's extremely reduced hours. Uh, there's homeless people everywhere because nobody is enforcing any of those minor rules. The police are demoralized, and all the more so since the billion-dollar cut that was handed to them by uh, by Governor, or excuse me, by uh, Mayor Big Bird, um, Bill De Blasio. So it's not good down there. Yeah. You know, a lot, lot of a uh, lot of stores were looted, uh, and they have not reopened. They just put plywood up on the windows. So instantly, the tourist mecca of Midtown Manhattan has turned into something that looks like you know, I don't know, a Middle Eastern mess. Wow, wow. Are, do you know? Are they having the fireworks issue down there too? I, oh yeah, uh, they? they're they're having almost every major city is having continuous fireworks problems at night, and in addition, in New York. Uh, we understand uh, there is an ongoing problem with drag racing on the West Side Highway. You know, once you get into the wee hours, you know, like 2, 3 o'clock, it sounds like NASCAR down there. Wow. You know, um, I, I couldn't help but notice, not to switch gears or anything, but, you know, I'm talking about government mismanagement. I noticed right as right before we were coming on the air, I heard the news report um, that New York's own review of the covid deaths in nursing homes new york state found that new york state's policies were just fine well that's <laughs> you know i i don't know about you but i find that extremely reassuring yeah yeah i and i i love how they they go through the whole thing and they say yeah you know um you know, they did a review, they did an investigation, they, they went through the numbers, this and that, they found this, they found that, um, and they found that the policy that Cuomo put in place did not put any of the patients in the nursing home at any additional risk, um, and he was following federal guidelines, which is actually not the case. Well, they said that he said that he was following federal guidelines. Well, Donald, he wasn't. Trump, Donald Trump told me to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then at the very end... They emphasize 
this study was not an independent study. I'm thinking not. I don't think uh, anybody thinks that that's the case. Uh, and uh, and even the CDC. I mean, you know, New York State is not alone in cooking the numbers here. So the CDC uh, let the cat out of the bag last week, where they admitted that uh, in reporting these, you know, these these new outbreaks, you know, throughout the news now, you're seeing. The outbreaks, the outbreaks, all oh, everywhere. The numbers are going up, 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 and uh, especially in the South. And in the, uh, da, da, you know, it's uh, all this Armageddon reporting. Except uh, you also have to note that the deaths are going down. Yeah. So if the cases are going up and the deaths are going down, but it's such a dangerous virus, something does not computer. And then the CDC admits last week that they have been conflating the. Uh, antibody testing with tests for actual people with the active case of the virus. So, for example, uh, this past winter, I'm thoroughly convinced that I had COVID because I was really sick for six weeks, and uh, I tested negative for pneumonia, and I tested negative for flu. So my general practitioner says that's about a 98% probability you had COVID because all this respiratory stuff that was going on. So I've got the antibodies, right? So if I were to go get tested, uh, that number is going, and I'm positive, that gets tossed into the bin as a new case of COVID. Mm. See yeah. how this works? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Oh. Well, the, the other thing that I think is worth emphasizing here is if the numbers are indeed going up in other states, that is going to be very likely to be due to the fact that they are starting to doing to doing testing. You know, in New York, we're doing what do we do? Like sixty thousand tests a day now, or something like that. Maybe even more than that. Yeah, I think the last number I saw, and that was this is days ago, so I'm sure this number is old. <clears throat> I think we had three million New Yorkers tested. Yeah, yeah. So, so we've been doing a lot of testing in New York, and all throughout the whole thing, Cuomo himself was like, "The number is going to go up because we're doing more testing." Well, we started at like doing something small, like 200 tests a day. Now we're up to the tens of thousands, if not even much further beyond that. These other states are probably ramping up their testing too. So we should be applying the same numbers, the same logic, and, and look and say, are the numbers going up because you're testing more? Or are they going up because there's actually new cases? I think that's pretty relevant. Guys, you're listening to Radio Free New York. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in a moment. Yeah, we gave IQ tests to uh, everybody in uh, the, uh, let's see, the state capital. Uh, the stupidity numbers in New York could go up, too. It's the year 2020. Cities are burning. Businesses are shutting down. A virus is running loose and people are quarantined in their homes. While people sit at home not able to pay their most basic bills, the fat cats in government give themselves raises with emergency relief money. Then they take out loans to pay off the people so they don't understand how desperate the situation really is. As families live on government funds that will mortgage their children's future into financial slavery... Groups of people take to the streets to protest the damage done by physical slavery. Hate has become the new currency, peddled by politicians and the media. It spews from the television, the paper, 
social media, and mobile phones. It spreads like wildfire, ensuring destruction of anything in its path, guaranteeing one thing, that we all lose. Welcome to these United States. United we stand, divided we fall. Friends, we are not united. And I ask the question, is history crumbling before us? This year has been a very intense year, littered with government overreach, violence, desperation, people going into debt, economic disparity. And, uh, you know, I, I look at history and this feels like the beginning of a fall of a civilization. Bob, what do you think? I think you have to look at what's going on and you have to ask yourself the reason why would this all be happening. Uh, let's turn the hands uh, of the clock back here to January where we had record unemployment. Uh, we had record new job growth. We had a teeming economy. We had crime, you know, decades of crime stats uh, throughout the United States dropping, violent crime stats, you know, really falling like a rock. Uh, the progressive agenda looking like it was headed for the ash heap of history. And who is at the forefront of all of this? A controversial president who a significant portion of the country has a, a hatred for, for him, which can only be described as pathological. Pathological being defined as that's a disease. Pathology is the study of disease. And so the, the hatred of Donald Trump would be an unhealthy thing and a self-defeating thing. So what is all this about? Why are all these negative vectors that you just ticked off in uh, that piece you just read there, Andrew, why would these things be happening? We know that there is a global political left which is devoted to bringing down democratic regimes and replacing them with autocratic regimes or at the very least authoritarian ones. And we know that that is kind of, that's kind of like metal rusting. You know, it's kind of like a force of nature. We know that the, the tendency for politics on a global scale is always in the direction of authoritarianism, totalitarianism, control, and subjugation of people. And after a period of time, the people rise up, they overthrow the authoritarian, totalitarian regimes, and the whole system is reset, and the cycle begins again. Where does all of that point? That points to a concerted effort by the global left to stop the spread of, well, what the United States represented, say, six months ago. Prosperity, freedom, self-determination, all the things that have made this country great. There, This can only mean one thing. I mean, if you were to take a poll, Andrew, of the level of skepticism that the general public has about this COVID thing, I think that you would see amazingly lopsided numbers. I think the vast majority of people think it's bunk. I think so, too. Hey, I was just uh, looking at the, you know, you don't have your TV monitors on in, in your location, but here we always have Channel 10 on. I'm looking at news footage of the 4th of July weekend. 
uh, throughout the Sun Belt, places like Myrtle Beach, places like Galveston Beach, uh, you know, throughout the South, uh, throughout the Gulf, you know, along the Atlantic coast. Thousands of people all out there, not a sign of a mask anywhere. They're all partying, they're drinking, they're swimming, they're surfing. Everybody's having a great time. People are done with this. They are freaking done with this. They want their businesses back. They want their livelihoods back. They want their kids back in school. They want this to end because a significant portion, reasonable minds can differ on what the percentage is, significant number of people believe that this is hyped, that it's bunk, and that COVID is a nasty bug if you get it. I've had it. I'm thoroughly convinced of that. I wasn't officially diagnosed, but that's the only thing it could have been because uh, pneumonia and the flu this past uh, winter were eliminated. They, those were negatives. Uh, and I'm 70. So it's, you know, and, and I got through it fine. So it's uh, it's a real threat to people who are vulnerable, no question about it. But it is not the gigantic threat to the general population that is being sold as. And I think most people believe that. So what does it mean? Uh, this is a lengthy response to your question uh, about the thing that you read there, Andrew. But I think uh, there's uh, this is a concerted effort to stop what Donald Trump represents and stop what the United States represents. And if we can bring the United States to its knees in the process, so much the better. Yeah, I, you know, and I, I have to say that I think when the virus first took off, I think people were legitimately afraid. I think people were, were scared. I think they were worried, but I think as time goes on, I, I agree. I mean, I, I walk around, I see people not wearing masks for the most part. Actually, I went to Charlotte Beach, I think it was Thursday night. Um, the local Libertarian Party was meeting at a pavilion there, um, and the beach was packed. I mean, there there was a ton of people on the pier, a ton of people on the beach, playing volleyball, swimming. I don't think I saw a single mask. I, I, I saw a couple people who came to the meeting, they brought masks because... You know, they didn't know how other people might feel. Right. They weren't sure how close or not close they would be. But people are doing um, this out of just basically out of a feeling of, of courtesy to those who might correct. be alarmed. They're, yeah. they're not doing it because they're propelled by actual fear about their health. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree completely. And when I interact with people on a daily basis, um, it's it's really interesting. You know, I talk to people on the phone. I talk to people via Zoom. I do see people face-to-face, -face, believe it or not, as well. And the sentiment has been generally the same, with, with a few exceptions. I, I know a few people who do have um, very at-risk immune systems, and, and they are very nervous, and they're very concerned, and they should be. They're, they're high-risk factor. If they were to get ill, they may not make it through. It's pretty likely, especially the one person, the sickness they have. Um, but for the vast population, the majority of people do do not appear, at least from my very limited scope, to be concerned. Well, it's interesting because you see all these these purported experts. Uh, Fauci, of course, gets a lot of slings and arrows, and he probably should. But there are other talking heads that, should, that are almost invariably aligned with government or with the government-dependent healthcare industry, and it is completely dependent on government. Uh, and, and they're always waxing pessimistic about what uh, what's in store for us. 
And I think that there's a there's a real credibility gap that's going on there, and it's widening because these are the same experts who have been predicting dire things since since February, and so many of their predictions have turned out to be like wildly hyped, uh, tremendously uh, inaccurate, or agenda driven, or some combination of all of those things. And there's an increasing uh, uh, part of, of of their commentary about COVID. Which is prospective, and it's it's uh, it's it's speculative. It's well, you know, this is going to come back, and uh, when it comes back, it could be it could be more virulent, and uh, all these uh, people that uh, are not social distancing, you know, they they're really putting themselves at risk, and they're putting other people at risk, and uh, blah blah blah, and on and on like this, and these people these are the same people who have been wrong sixty to eighty percent of the time up to now. So I think that people are just not listening anymore, and they're very yeah. tired of the authoritarianism, and they want their lives back. It's summertime. People want to enjoy life. They're concerned about their kids this fall. That's, this is an overarching concern for so many, you know, countless families. What's going to happen this fall? If the kids don't go back to school, how can I go back to work? Who's going to watch the kids at home? You know, the, these are real-world concerns that politicians and and uh, healthcare um, uh, policymakers just don't seem to get, and people are really getting sick of it. I, I well, think that I, I think. Have, uh, go ahead. I, I have to add in here. You know, I I know a couple families who kid whose kids are special needs, and their school day is more of a program to help them build up um, social education and language and and basics and sometimes they're they're quite a bit behind and they need that interaction to to deal with what they're dealing with with that need these parents have told me without that program being active without having their kids be able to be social with other kids at the same level they're seeing years worth of work roll back and regress because the, the kids aren't getting the therapy that they need. That's which tragic. Which set them back five, six years in their life. In Horrible. Their development. Yeah, it's really not good. All right, guys, you're listening to Radio Free New York. When we come back from break, uh, we're going to talk about the Frederick Douglass statue that came down in Maplewood Park, right up the street from me. We're going to talk about that and more when we come back on Radio Free New York. listening to Radio Free New York. All right. We are back here on Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister. We've got Bob Savage here with us. And uh, I was pretty surprised to hear the news this morning that yesterday somebody tore down the Frederick Douglass statue in Maplewood Park. Yeah, how about that? Uh, yeah, that's a kind of uh, of a piece with the story from last week where they tore down Ulysses S. Grant's statue. You know, I mean, if you had to pick somebody who was, <laughs> you know, exactly the, the opposite of an oppressor, at least in terms of slavery and the freeing of the slaves and the integration of African Americans into the American political mainstream uh, Ulysses S. Grant would be right up there. 
he helped defeat the Confederacy. He helped free the slaves. He also crushed the first iteration of the Ku Klux Klan, which would have, you know, wound up in the on the ash heap of history by the 1890s, were it not for progressive Democrat President Woodrow Wilson and his ilk, who, re, you know, revived the Klan uh, after the turn of the century and fanned it into. A pretty successful organization for a while there. In the 1920s, the Ku Klux Klan had 5 million members in uh, the U.S. And by the wow. way, right right now, the uh, the smart money says that the actual Klan membership in the United States is probably less than 5,000. So so I was, I was pretty interested, you know, not interested, but surprised, you know, seeing that this statue was taken down. And, of course, a, a bunch of theories have already come in. I know the police are investigating it. Um, you know, one of, one of the theories that came up, I've got, I've got a small list here for you guys, um, is that somebody tore this statue down, which by the way, I've, I've been to this statue. I've seen it. Um, I actually took a really cool picture of the statue, um, last February. I posted it on my Facebook page. You guys can check it out. It's, uh, go to Facebook, Andrew C. Hollister, click on the page. It's one of the most recent posts. Um, you know, this picture of the statue and it, it not only is it a very historic area, you know, it's part of the underground railroad. Um, he was a civil liberties fighter for sure. One of the most famous in history. And to see this statue taken down, the first thing I'm going to say is that thing's got to be so heavy. You know, I mean, it's bolted to the ground. And it looks like where the bolts, the bolts look like they're still there. I have no idea how they did this. Um, and one of the first things some people have said is that this was done by some unknown group of people as retribution for other statues that are coming down across the country, which I'm, I'm not feeling that that's likely at all. That doesn't I, make I, I'm sense. I'm not feeling that way. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I I think that that's people shooting in the dark. Um, I I have a few other, you know, theories that I've seen floating around. Um, one of them is that there are Antifa instigators trying to make it look like white nationals did this. That, although it would feel a little more likely, I feel like they'd put swastikas and stuff like that around. You know, I feel like they would try to make it um, a little more pointed in that direction um the next theory is maybe it was actually white nationalists i i'm not feeling that either personally i i don't know whether or not that's true but i i'm thinking probably not i once again there's no extra or none reported anyways i guess is what i should say no additional insignia or there doesn't seem to be any group claiming responsibility um and, you know, there's there doesn't seem to be I'll give you a great example. When there was property destruction downtown, there was literally hordes of people there making a lot of noise, um, you know, setting things on fire, rioting, looting. You know, there wasn't any of that either that that was reported that I'm aware of. So it seems like whoever did this, at least based on the limited information we have right now, tried to keep their presence pretty low-key. They didn't want people to know what they were doing. Um, 
and and I I don't know. I mean, Bob, what, what do you think? I mean, where what's the motivation behind taking this statue down? Do you think? Well, while you've been talking, I've been trying to research this, and we're having a connect- connectivity issue here with the uh, with the web. I, I can't get out on my cell phone for some reason. Uh, but there is a there was a a, a, a famous speech that Frederick Douglass gave. Uh, uh, having to do with the Fourth of July and slavery, yeah. uh, and uh, th- I was trying to get to that uh, to, to that link, and I can't get to it right now because the uh, you know the internet's foobar. Uh, but um, th- that has been pushed by some by some people as justification for this or as an excuse for it. I'm not yeah. sure I, that makes any more sense than the example you just gave, but yeah. that's. That's uh, that seems to be at least the pretense for doing this. It's a dumb thing to do. Yeah, yeah. So I do actually. I have the the speech here, or at least the part of the speech. I, I don't know that this is the whole speech. It, it was done on July fifth, eighteen fifty two, in Corinthian Hall in Rochester. Um, and his speech. This became one of his most famous speeches. His most famous works. Um, the only thing more famous, I believe, is his autobiography. Um, and it's called, um, what to the American slave is your 4th of July. And I'm just going to read it to you guys here. This excerpt, what have I, or those I represent to do with your national independence are the great principles of political freedom and natural justice embodied in that declaration of independence extended to us. What? to the American slave is your 4th of July. I answer, a day that reveals to him more than all other days in the year the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is the constant victim. So that that is the speech that he gave, I, I believe it was 168 years ago um, on July 5th, the same day you know, or the anniversary of which the statue came down. And I have I have seen a, across the internet some people say, yeah, you know, they took it down because of that speech. Um, I've heard the other side, which is they took it down so that speech would resurface in the media. Um, I don't know if any of that's true. Well, that's a convoluted way to get something done. Yeah, yeah. Let's I mean, destroy it's, it's something very... of total value just to get some media attention? I don't buy it. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't get it either. I think what what could be very likely, um, and I have no evidence to support this whatsoever, but what could be likely is that you had a group of individuals who enjoy destroying property, and they've seen statues being torn down all across the United States. They've seen property being damaged, um, and they decided they were just going to go to the park and take down a statue. I bet they didn't even know whose statue it was or what it represented. I bet you they just pulled it down. They were going to try to push it down the gorge as maybe a practical joke, maybe, um, you know, just some personal puffery, you know, just to feel good about themselves that they, they did something. They destroyed a piece of public property. And, and I bet they, they just didn't even know the value of what they were damaging and the historic significance of what they destroyed. Well, somebody somebody made the observation last week, you know, with the destruction of these statues, that these these people tear down everything they don't they don't understand. If they if it, if it doesn't mean anything to them, they just destroy it. 
And I think there's something to that. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, absolutely, it could be. You know, I I couldn't speak to that. Um, you know, I see Jake here comments on Facebook. He says, "Was there a noose found?" I didn't hear anything no. about that. I didn't There's hear no... anything about anything found. No, the uh, was stat- statue was removed. It was it was toppled from its uh, concrete pedestal, and then they dragged it and they threw it over a. There was like a a barrier fence that's made of that plastic snow fence stuff. And it was found on the other side of that, and uh, one of uh, uh, Frederick Douglass's fingers was broken off, and so they're going to restore it. Yeah, yeah. So ch- check out that picture, though, on, on my Facebook page. Um, you get a chance to see what the statue looked like before this happened. I've got that posted up there. You guys can check it out. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to wrap up the show with talking about the mindset of our founding fathers. We'll be back in a moment on Radio Free New York. Free New York. All right, we are back here on Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister. And the question I pose to each of you listening today is what is the difference between the mindset that our founding fathers had versus the mindset that people have today? I think it's a question worth reflecting on. Uh, especially after Independence Day weekend. Um, you know, something I remind people of every single year, which uh, really kind of blew up on me this year, surprisingly. Um, every year I make a post about how the Founding Fathers, it, during their time, were considered violent protesters who became terrorists and committed treason. And I posted about that, and I usually... Um, will take current references made today and and integrate that as what people probably said during history. And man, people this year, uh, you know, I've been doing this since the SAFE Act because to me that that was my correlation, my form of tyranny um, that I woke up to was the passage of the SAFE Act. So I've been making this post for the last seven years. Um, And Bob, I got to tell you, People really got upset and thought that I was justifying um, violence and burning of buildings and everything because of what was going on with current events. And, uh, you know, it was kind of an interesting experience. I had to kind of reel people in and say, hey, guys, uh, talk about this every year. And, you know, you can't change what history was. Um, And it was a pretty interesting experience for me. That's for sure. So they're getting mad at you because you're chronicling history? I'm not, I'm not sure I follow that. Yeah, they they were upset because I, I had pointed out that many people would have looked at the Founding Fathers at that time and said things like, I can't support your cause because it's violent. You know, the, the same type of thing. Or very similar things to what we would hear with the SAFE Act, which would be something like, well, you know, I I would, but only you know, if it's this or if it's that, you know, kind of the the common excuses that you see. So I always pull out like phrases that I see in headlines. I insert them as things that were probably said then that people say today to use as justification to not support a cause. Um, When the founding fathers stood up and, and yeah, they were 
violent protesters considered treasonous terrorists. Um, and the people around them probably said things like, yeah, I, I'd support your cause, except, um, you know, you lost me when when you went violent. You know, we really need to fix this in the courts. The courts are a way to do it. You know what you should do? You should write a letter to the king. And, uh, you know, they tried all that. Um, they, they tried going through the courts. They tried, you know, reaching out to the king. And the oppression continued to come and continued to come, which is what sparked the revolution. And it's why we have this country today. Um, but people look at the same tyranny, actually much, much deeper, stronger, and oppressive tyranny, and go, oh, you know what? The answer is uh, you got to write a letter. That's, that's how you're going to fix it. Um, and so to me, there just must have been a totally different mindset or maybe just a, a different level of frustration or desperation that the founding fathers had compared to the people who live today. Well, there's, uh, you know, the, the, you have to look at from an objective standpoint, what, what, what are the objectives? What were the founding fathers trying to do? And what was the nature of the oppression that they were trying to throw off? Is it capable of being accurately and concisely defined? The, the nature of the tyranny is what I'm talking about. Obviously, the only way that you're going to end tyranny is with some show of force because the people who are in charge uh, are armed. And so they have to be defeated and they have to be taken out of power. And they're not going to, you know, you can't write them a nice note and say, isn't it time you step down? Don't you think that maybe, you know, if, if you were to uh, uh, maybe step aside and let somebody else take a crack at this? No, these are people who derive their their purpose and their sense of uh, having a role in life from suppressing others. So they're not going to let go of that power. So that's by definition, you're talking about having to overthrow that. Uh, so I think it was fairly clear at the time of the American Revolution what had to be done in order for us to have a successful civilization here in North America. And that was that we had to get rid of distant British rule that was oppressive and was uh, not respectful of our rights and was uh, crushing us economically, it had to stop because the people couldn't, they couldn't bear it anymore. I think that's fairly easy to understand. What is, what is the problem? What exactly are Antifa and BLM fighting for now? Somebody's got to explain that to me because I don't get it. Do, do you, Andrew? So, so I would say, and this, um, I was actually, I'm hoping to get somebody who can come on the show because I've, I've been doing a lot of listening lately and, and, you know, over the years and the things projected by the media, I, I can't speak for Antifa, nor can I speak specifically for Black Lives Matter, but I can speak for the people who I've spoken to who say that they support Black Lives Matter, and they give me why their explanation of what it means to them. Yeah, why? What? What? what, 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 what the, is there a consensus, or does everybody? And this is the point here too, by the way. Uh, everybody you talk to about BLM, you say, why do you support them? So I, everybody I talk to who supports them has a different reason. So the the answer that I'm getting pretty consistently is is first kind of a re-explanation of what Black Lives Matter means to them, which which is very interesting, by the way, um, which is why I think we should get somebody on the show. But what, what I've been told is that to them, Black Lives Matter does not mean 
that all lives don't matter. What what it means to them is black lives matter too. And and I've heard this from multiple people at this point. They're like, the two isn't on the end because it shouldn't need to be in their mind. They, to them, it's uh, it's like, hey, we feel like we're being disadvantaged. We're just trying to say that we matter. We're not saying that other people don't matter. I and I think there's a language barrier there that causes a huge um, rift between people because people take it in – they mean it one way, people perceive it in another way, and I think it's causing, well, I don't think I know, I can see it, it's causing a lot of tension, which is why I think people need to come together and we need to have some common language so that we can understand everything, That's it. I mean, how look, they mean it. Where, where's the e pluribus unum in all of this? You know, out of many, one. That's what it means. So everybody understood that in the time of the American Revolution. There was a common, there was a common foe, there was a common... Uh, objective that we were trying to accomplish. You know, when you talk to anybody about BLM, what you get is a bunch of basically navel-gazing. Just uh, this, well, And you just quoted it, Andrew. This is what it means to me. This is what I think. But what is the beef? What is the issue? Uh, do, do BLM's leaders seriously argue that white people just want them to be dead? I don't believe that. Yeah, I mean, uh, and, I haven't, I haven't heard that specifically. More, more of what I've heard is that they, they see the statistics that black people are incarcerated at higher rates, die in police custody at higher rates, those sort of things, and they want that unjustice. Black fixed. people commit more crime. That may be the case. If you look at the stats, I mean, you know, in certain categories of violent crime throughout the United States, uh, you know, uh, African-Americans account for, what, 11 percent, depending on who you talk, 11 or 13 percent of the general population. And in certain categories of violent crime, such as assaults on police officers on weekends, they account for 98 percent of that crime. And and uh, as, as far as shootings and murders and everything else, unfortunately, because the great society has really kneecapped uh, African-Americans as a group, uh, they, they got so many young men growing in fatherless homes who are, you know, saddled with horrible poverty. Uh, but this is this is not the fault of white people generically. This is the fault of government being substituted for family and for values and for believing in something bigger than yourself. That's, the, you know, I mean, if you had to put your finger on one single cause, which is a dangerous thing to do, that's a major one. Yeah, I, I think that most of us can agree that big government and, and the government in general has caused the overwhelming majority of these issues. And I believe having the conversations about that is going to be our steps forward in resolving it. And I know there's there's a bunch of other stuff that surrounds it, too, that has nothing to do with it. Like Kevin talked about the flyer going around, oh, let's cancel the rent. That's canceling the rents, not a racial issue, and people trying to bring that in, I think, is what starts to cause problems. So yeah, I'm I'm hoping to get somebody on the show that can explain it um, in their terms, and then we can see: do we agree? Do we disagree? Do we have common ground? Do we not? Uh, I think it's going to be really important for our communities to heal to have that conversation. Guys, you're listening to Radio Free New York. We'll be back same time, same place tomorrow. <laughs>